You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. This is the good news of the gospel. God made us, showed us how to live, but we chose our own way. Our sins separated us from God. But God had a compassionate plan. The Father sent His Son, Jesus, to restore all that was broken. We couldn't comprehend Jesus. Or His supposed kingdom. His message was radical and offensive. So So we we killed killed Him. But a greater story was being told. The Father placed the wrongdoings of the entire world, past, present, and future, on Jesus, making a way back to Himself. Now, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we are raised to new life, free from all guilt and condemnation, as God is making all things new. His Spirit now lives in those who believe to take His good news to all people, even to the ends of the earth. This This is the the Gospel. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Cody Anderson, and I have the joy of serving as a home group leader uh, with my wife, Brittany. (laughs) Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Cody. Well, it was 4 a.m. at the Flying J truck stop outside of Abilene, Texas, and I was drinking uh, quite possibly the worst cup of coffee uh, that I had had in my life to that point. My um, dad retired early from uh, the military, Uh, and then took up driving a truck, uh, and then to make more money, talked my mom uh, into doing long-haul truck driving with him, uh, and their route. So remember, if you're like a Gen X kid, remember that old, your mom's a truck driver? Mine actually was. I wasn't even offended. I was like, there's good money in trucking. And and so their route every week um, was they would drive from Miami to California and back. That's what they did every week. Uh, And that put them, I was in college in uh, Abilene, that put them across Interstate 20, right outside of Abilene, between 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And so uh, I was there at 4 a.m. Technology was different back then. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, But I just had to sit there until they showed up. And so I'm drinking uh, a cup of coffee, a really terrible cup of coffee, and a man Um, who looked like he had lived life hard, uh, was bussing the table next to the one I was sitting at. And because I am an extrovert and can't help myself, I started up a conversation with this man and I simply said, hey man, how are you doing? And he responded to me this way, all I have is my soul and no one wants that. And I said, to my shame, I said back to him, I hear you, man. (laughs) 
I am getting a degree in Bible. I am preaching to a thousand college kids every Tuesday night. Uh, I have been actively sharing the gospel with just about anything with ears for close to seven years. And the best I can come up with when a man says, all I have is my soul and no one wants that was, I hear you, man. I have thought about that dude 400 times the past two decades. What I want to believe is that someone else stepped into what I did not step into, and now he knows and loves Jesus. Um, Here's where we're going. Uh, Over the next six weeks, I just want to kind of lay in front of you the simple gospel. And and the simple gospel is, is, is this like in a nutshell, and then you got to know I'm going to expand on this. I've only been up here for like 12 seconds. You have a soul. Look at me. And someone wants it. And someone wants it. So the passage today is probably one of the most famous Christian passages there is. You don't have to have a church background, maybe even to know John 3.16. You might not know the verse, but you've seen it behind a goalpost on television, or you've seen John 3.16 somewhere, and it's in its essence, it's the, the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if anyone would believe upon the son, that he wouldn't perish, but he would actually have everlasting life. And then I love verse 17. People leave off 17. That Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world from that condemnation. Now here is my like 12 second testimony. I used to be angry, like angry, angry, like violent angry and lonely, which playing out in all kinds of perverse ways. And someone shared the good news with me, shared that with me. And I have walked in deep peace and belonging ever since. And I'm wondering if if you have a similar story, just a 12, 15 second story. Maybe your uh, adjectives are a bit different than mine. Maybe you weren't uh, filled with rage and perversion. Maybe it was something else. But if you're a Christian, you just have a 12, 15 second, this is what happened to me. Like I was violent and, and I was perverse. And, and lonely, and, and I heard the good news that, that Jesus had come for me to heal what was most broken in me. And, and I have, for almost 30 years now, walked in an immense amount of peace and deep belonging that kind of drove those other things out of my life. Now, when Christians talk about the gospel, historically, one of the easier ways they've done it uh, is through, maybe it's a tool, I don't know what to call it, called the Roman Road. It's a series of verses in the book of Romans that kind of clearly articulates what the good news is. That's what gospel means. The word gospel simply means good news. Euangelion in the Greek. I know you were wanting to know that. And so, uh, so, so what I want to do is I just want to walk the Roman Road with you really quickly, and then I want to, at the end of that, talk about how that road has been been most frequently traveled, and that will be our time together kicking off this series. So the Roman road begins where it has to begin in Romans 3.23, and here's what it says. For all, and that all is, if you really want to do some Greek work, that all means everyone. So all grew up in church, all grew up far from church, all Grew up hard, all. Grew up soft, all. Grew up moral, all. Grew up immoral, all. Have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, sin is hard for us. 
And it's hard for us for multiple reasons. Primarily, it's hard for us in 2023 because we are living in a therapeutic, psychological age that that leans hard towards victimization. So what ends up happening is there's no real category for sin. There's just struggle. And so we will categorize what is sinful around struggle and we will find someone to blame for our struggle. And if you start there, which is not where the gospel starts, if you start there, you will have the wrong solution for the wrong problem. Are you tracking with me? And so here, let me, uh, I had brain cancer 14 years ago, golf ball sized tumor in my right frontal lobe. If I thought these are just headaches and I took a leave for that golf ball sized tumor, I'm not here anymore. I'm a dead man. In the same way, if you misdiagnose what's going on in your spirit, if you misdiagnose what's going on in your gut, then all of the treatments for what you think are wrong will not only not heal you, but actually ultimately kill you. And so it's important that we start where the gospel starts. And the gospel starts like this. The thing that is most broken and wrong in you and in me is not some kind of moral uh, kind of outworking of something that occurred to us or family of origin. It's not therapeutic. It's not psychological. And I'm not saying there's no value in psychology and therapy. I'm saying it won't solve what's most wrong with us. And so the Bible says what's most wrong with you and what's most wrong with me. And keep in mind, this is the gospel. This is the good news is what is called sin. And and sin is, you could take each of the words for sin in the Bible and, and you could talk about missing the mark or you could talk about falling short or you could talk about transgression or iniquity, which is a bent towards wrongdoing. But my favorite definition, because uh, it's all of them kind of put together in one, is by a man by the name of J.C. Ryle, and here's how he defines it. Sin consists in doing, saying, thinking, or imagining anything that is not in perfect conformity with the mind and law of God. Sin, aren't you glad you came, consists in doing saying, thinking, or imagining anything that is not in perfect conformity with the mind and law of God. A little bit more about sin. I know you want me to move on to the next part in the road. We gotta start right or we're gonna end up wrong. You with me? Gotta start right or we're gonna end up wrong. It begins, sin begins within us, not from outside of us. It's not the result of bad training in early years. It's not picked up from bad companions and bad examples. It's a disease that we're born with. It pervades and runs through every part of our moral constitution and every faculty of our being. In fact, our understanding, our affections, our reasoning powers, our will are all more or less affected by this disease of sin. In fact, it even perverts our conscience, so that not even our conscience can be trusted to lead us into light and life unless the Holy Spirit does the work of illumination. This is where the gospel story begins, that what's most wrong with you and me isn't our tough marriage, it's not our 
kids, it's not our money, it's not our sickness, it's not anything on the horizontal plane that you and I were created by God for communion with God and a break has occurred and that break is called sin. And you and I have both passively and willingly participated in this distance between us and our creator. We have done it with sins of commission and sins of omission. We have done it by doing what we know is wrong and we have done it by not doing what we know is right. And the good news of the gospel starts here so it gets us to where we want to be, where our soul was created to dwell and exist. That you and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now here's what's just amazing, and it's in this passage, in our John 3, 16 and 17 passage. God's response to that, sins of omission, sins of commission, rebellion against him, doing it our own way, his response is this. This is Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, now that order matters in massive ways particularly maybe here in our area, certainly all over the South, right? This just said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that's how we know that God loves us. So the, the sickness and the disease is sin, rebellion against God, doing what we know is wrong, not being able to pull off what we know is right, all the dysfunction of that, and then God's response Born out of love is to send Christ to die for sinners. Look at me. While they were stuck in their sins. Not once they cleaned themselves up. Not when they figured out those things. Not, not when, hey, I'm going to start doing what I know is right and I'm going to stop doing what I know is wrong. No, no, no. That's not when this began. This began while they were yet sinners. That Christ came. If, if Jesus on the cross has always been confusing to you, listen, it was confusing to me when I wasn't a Christian. It made no sense. Like, how's this Jewish poor fisherman for, or carpenter from like 2,000 years ago, like, what, is, what does his death have to do with me? Like, how is that, like, what, how, put weight on that for me. That makes zero sense for me. Well, gosh, it, it doesn't make sense unless you know what is really wrong with you that the only antidote for the disease that's squeezing the life of you in the here and now and will do it for eternity can only be healed by one who is not to blame and is not sinful. That he imputes his righteousness to us and takes on all of God's wrath towards our sin. All of it, past, present, and future. So I am sinful, you are sinful, but God moves towards us in love. Sending his son to die on the cross to absorb God's wrath while we were yet sinners. And then he moves on again and shows us what's at stake. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift free, doesn't cost, you don't earn, you don't pay, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to keep on going down the, the line, maybe you're sitting and you're hearing me say all this and you just know this can't be true for you because you, man, you got a past. You're a bit ratchet, if you will. You, you've come in here today, you've even got some stuff going on today and so this is all great um, for, for those of us who aren't as bad as you, but... Gosh, 
can't be true for you. And so on the road, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that passage. And the whole Bible bears witness to it. Like I've said this often, I can't, I can't just keep taking these side trails, or maybe I can't. Um, like th- there's nobody in the Bible but Jesus and maybe Daniel that we would hire at the village. You see, there's nobody in the Bible that'd make it through HR. Maybe not even, don't, don't judge us, probably not at your company either. I mean, pick the great heroes of the faith. They're all like, no thank you. David, my wife's a beautiful woman. I own David up in here. Might be in an accident. If you don't know that story, just read your Bible later this afternoon. Right? Like, like who? Jeremiah, always weeping about every, like who are you going to pick? Like they're all, like God pulls from those fringes, those who become his brightest lights, there is now therefore no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. So you're not ratchet enough to not be saved. In fact, I would argue that you're kind of like his people. Kind of really likes people like you especially. Right? This is, this is the good news of the gospel that there's no condemnation for your ratchetness. And then Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, let me, let me. That's it. That's the gospel. Believe that Christ has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. Believe that what's most wrong with you isn't anxiety, isn't lust, isn't anger, isn't, but, but those things are fruit of a different route that you can't get out of your soul, but God has made a way in Christ to remove it. That's the gospel. And, and some of you got long church backgrounds. You might be like, whoa, 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 hey, don't be, you better add all the stuff that they need to be doing. And, and I would just argue, no, I won't, because none of those things are the gospel. If my moral improvement could save me, then Christ doesn't need to die for my sins. What you're bringing up is what the gospel produces. It's not the gospel. And so the second you add anything to believe upon the name and the finished work of Jesus, you add a single thing to that. You add a single thing to the cross and the resurrection. You're outside the bounds of the gospel. You have added to God's plan to seek and save the lost, and you've done it because you're nervous and you want moral conformity, and moral conformity comes over time because of the gospel. It's not the gospel. And I want you to hear me say, because some of you, I'm just telling you, I've been here a long time. I've been here, I mean, over 20 years. Some of you said yes to a gospel that was different than this, and you're barely hanging in there because you actually never said yes to Jesus. You're actively trying religious activity to try to save you, and you feel so dry and so distant and so alone and so exhausted. You're like, I don't know if any of this is real, and I'm just trying to make an appeal to you today that all of that stuff isn't the gospel. That the gospel is simply believing that I have been reconciled to God through Christ and that what is most wrong with me has been healed forever in the finished work of Jesus. Because if it wasn't finished, he'd still be in the grave, but he resurrected as a picture that the bill has been paid in full so that the writers of the scriptures could say crazy things about us. Like that the record of debt has been canceled. Do you believe that? Like, especially if you're haunted by some nonsense you've been a part of. 
Like the book says, because of Jesus, like that's just been canceled. You owe nothing. Bills been paid in full. That's the gospel. And I would just, for those of you trying to use him, the good news of, you gotta hear me, the good news of the gospel isn't that your marriage is gonna get better. It's not that you're gonna make more money. It's not that you're gonna get reconciled with your kids. It's not that, fill in the blank of all the stuff that we try to use Jesus for. No, and this isn't new. This isn't part of this series. I think I've said this almost every Sunday for 20 years. The good news of the gospel is you get reconciled to God and he will be enough come what may. Now, I, I think I can make a persuasive and powerful argument from the scriptures that over time, horizontal things are made right. But we don't come to Jesus so he can give us what we want. We come to Jesus because we're deathly sick in spirit and only he can heal us. Now, here, here's what I want to know. I want to spend the rest of my time. That's the gospel. You, you, that's it. You believe that. that that's it. Not that. And then the, no, no, no. That's it. You believe that. The gospel begins to produce some things. But we'll talk about that in time. Now, he, here's, he, here's what I want to do in the back half of the sermon. I want to talk about how the Roman road is usually traveled. Uh, several years ago, there was an article written by David Brooks in the New York Times called The Arena Culture. I love David Brooks. We don't always agree on everything, but I love him. And he wrote about how Americans in particular, they love pep rallies. They love energy. They love large crowds. They love fast and famous. And, and they love like, like big things. And, and the truth is, almost none of us became Christians in an arena full of people where some charismatic preacher preached the word. That's not how 2.38 billion people globally have come to call Jesus king. It has traveled slowly through relational circles throughout history to spread across the globe. You've heard me preach, if you've been here for any amount of time, out of Acts 17 and Acts 139, where you've been uniquely wired and uniquely placed by God for his glory, your good, and his mission to seek and save the lost. So the gospel doesn't really spread throughout the globe because of dynamic communicators, but faithful saints in neighborhoods, workplaces, and places of play. It moves to what I'll call relational circles. Let me show you mine. This is my relational circle. Um, there it is. So that's me. I'm the circle. Now, my primary relational circle is my family, right? It's my family. Primarily my children. You are not born a Christian. You cannot be born a Christian. There's no such testimony. So sometimes people who are confused, who haven't heard or thought, will say something like, I've been a Christian my whole life. Listen, I love you. You have not been a Christian your whole life because you can't be a Christian. You can be a Muslim your whole life. You can be a Hindu your whole life. You cannot be a Christian your whole life. There's a moment in which you decide and say yes to Jesus and put your faith in his finished work, that grace extended to you, and then you become a Christian. And so I have put a ton of energy into Audrey, Reed, and Nora. Uh, I have tried to share the gospel with them, live the gospel with them. They've seen people become Christians at our dining room table. They've seen people become Christians on our front porch. I can't make them be Christians. Uh, I can't decide that they'll be Christians. Each of them will have to differentiate themselves from me and their mama and own their faith. That, that's what we're waiting to see. It's not my faith. They can't have my faith. My faith is my faith. It's there. So most of my evangelism is occurring in my house. Right? Yours too. 
Second is work. And I know you're like, oh, please, you work with all Christians. Yes, it is permission to play here at the Village Church to be a pastor at a Christian church. We're just crazy enough to demand that you be one. But you know who's not? Our kids. Our kids. You watch me in that lobby. If I see one of our pastors or ministry staff members or staff members, and they've got their kids with them, I'm like on it. I'm like, what's up, man of God? You doing all right? How you doing? And I am, with, with, with anything I've got in me, moving towards them in openness, humor, playfulness. How are you? What's going on? Tell me about, because I, I earnestly want to see all the children of our staff come to know and love Jesus distinctly from their parents. So four or five times already this morning, I was before the nine o'clock, so I was in this back hallway and one of our pastors was walking in with the two kids and I swooped in. I knew uh, his son had just played a bunch of baseball games yesterday. So I was like, hey man, why don't you save some wins for some other teams, bro? You're not just whoop everybody like that. I mean, some of those kids quit yesterday. They went home and said, I don't even want to play baseball anymore. I want to dance. You know, you ruined some people, man. Give a team up. And little, you know, little KB, man, I gave her some knocks. And she was like, you need to come over for dinner. I was like, do I need to call your folks or just drop by? Or, and I'm going to be playful and, and I'm going to try to get as much Jesus as I can into them because I, I want to see that. That's a relational circle of mine. Um, for the last 18 months, because of a Clint Eastwood clip and my son, I've been training jiu-jitsu at Double Five Jiu-Jitsu. It, it has, I guess somebody knows Double Five. They, whoo. Um, there have been few places in my life that I've taken beatings quite like this place. It, it is, I still wait to get better and it's just not, it's not happening. But this is a relational circle I'm in. Uh, in fact, I would argue physically, I'm probably closer with these men than maybe any other men ever in the history of my life. If you ever watched jiu-jitsu, it's a very intimate sport. Um, and what I'm trying to do, not every time, but oftentimes, is at the end of a roll, that's what you call a fight, I will say, hey man, I've got some time set aside this afternoon to pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And I'm telling you, I have been shocked at how quickly some of those men have teared up and began to just share with me some really difficult, dark things. To which, man, I, here's what's crazy. And then I actually go pray. And, and then next time we roll, I ask them before we fight, in the hopes of some mercy in the fight, how things are going. That's a relational circle, and I want to live intentionally. And then there are these things called divine appointments. So divine appointments are, uh, like, they're not necessarily a relational circle, but if we have eyes to see, God will put people in our path, right? Like, uh, I only have my soul and nobody wants that guy. Or after service today, I'm, I'm literally, Lauren's picking me up and we're going to the airport. We're going out to California for a few days because it's a great place to visit and, uh, and then come home. And, um, and, and I'm gonna, there's going to be in the middle seat someone I don't know because Lauren doesn't want to sit in the middle, so she sits across the aisle. And I'm going to feel this out to see if it's a divine appointment, right? Because God hadn't called us to be, you know, like he hadn't called us to like, crush people. So man, if, if this person has on headphones and isn't making eye contact, uh, I'm not going to be like, hey, if you were to die today, <laughs> would you, oh, oh man, my bad. I'm not doing that. Hey, look at me. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, but, but if, we, if we make some eye contact, if they give me so much as a sup, it's, it's, it's time. Where are you going? Are you heading home? Are you heading to work? 
right? And I'm like, oh, I'm glad you gave me the head nod. Do you know where you, you know, have you considered Jesus Christ? No, I'm just going to say, how are you doing? Like, are you heading home? Are you going to work? He'll ask me questions back. He'll, we'll get to what do you do for a living? He'll ask me what I do for a living. I'll say, I'm a pastor. So, <laughs> no, like here are, here are real questions, real questions that, that I ask in divine uh, appointments and sometimes in relational circles. That sounds really stressful. What do you turn to for hope when you're feeling sad or stressed? Can I tell you something we forget as Christians? That we have a place to go. Last night I came into the four o'clock and a man stopped me. Um, man, like, like just, I, I, I mean, we were still 35 minutes from something. He just stopped me, grabbed me, pulled me in, had just had some medical testing, got some bad news. Wanted me to pray for him, so I got to pray over him, ask him who all knew. My home group knows. In fact, this group's going with me to my testing this week. They've been praying for me. They've been taking care of anything I need. We have a place to go when life punches us in the face. I think we forget that a lot of people have no idea where to go. So my experience, not everybody, but my experience is by and large, people tend to go to that third drink they, they tend to go to some compulsion. They go to pornography. They, they go to some kind of compulsion to relieve the anxiety and stress of brokenness and strife. We have a place to go. And so I love this question because if they're honest, they'll, they, usually men are like, oh, man, it just is what it is. I just told it. And I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be that way, brother. And I don't, you're making light of something that's not light. It's actually pretty awful. Men don't like to think about it being awful. They like to think about them being strong and then they stuff it until their whole life blows up. And so this is a great question. It's just like, hey, where do you take that? What are you doing with that? Where are you going with that? And, and nine times, I'm offering myself first. What can I do? Is there anything I can do? And then I want you to know that the God of the Bible sees you and that he can carry this in a way that I can't and that you can't and, and that you haven't been abandoned or forgotten. That's a question. And I, I, I know I see some of you kind of taking pictures. Just, we're we're going to figure out how to get it to you. I'll send you an email this week or post it on social or something. Number two. If God could do one miracle in your life, what would it look like? Again, no one's ever gotten angry with me when I've asked that question. How dare you, sir? They'll almost always let you into their deepest desires. Praise God for that. I've asked, what does faith look like in your life? That, that's like a lead-in all the time. Do you have faith? Tell me about that. And then uh, I'll, I'll follow that up. When did you become a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist? Because this, this opens up opportunities for me to hear their life story and then to actually share mine. Remember my little 12, 15-second testimony? Just a more robust version of that. I'll, I'll fill in some of the blanks around anger. I'll fill in some of the blanks around perversion. I'll fill in some of the blanks of belonging and peace that Christ has brought. But I want to hear their story. I literally want to hear how you grew up and, and, and how did you, were you born into a Hindu family? Were you born into a Muslim family? And then from there, how do you show love to God? Not just how, how does God show you love? How do you show love to God? And this is where, honestly, I love this question for, for people who think they're Christians, but, but they're not. Where they have a long list of religious activity by which they show God that they love him, trying to earn that love that he's freely given to them. And then I love this. This doesn't just happen overseas. Have you ever had any dreams about God? Lastly, what things are most important to you in your life? Uh, again, that's just a great question for somebody to begin to share with you the stuff that's going on in their hearts and minds. Look at me. That they probably rarely tell anyone. And I'm just availing myself to the person. Uh, 
I want to learn about you. I want to understand and know you. And I want, by the grace of God, to share you the, with you the best news in the universe. Now, two things. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, like a friend brought you uh, or a coworker brought you or a family member's just pestered you to death and you finally agreed, here's what I would love to just kind of put in your imagination. That God has placed you in the way of his gospel through a relational circle. If this is how the gospel is spread, through relational circles, then you being here, look at me, means this. You have a soul, and he wants it. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and again, this isn't new. I've been hammering on this stuff for two decades. To see and understand our life through those lenses eradicates boredom from us and fills us with a kind of spiritual adrenaline and a little bit of anxiety that makes us more prayerful, more zealous, and more alive in the work. If you're bored as a Christian, I love you, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. If you're like, I'm an introvert. Okay, I, I get it. I, I'm not asking you to be big. But even introvert, introverts have conversations with people. Yeah. I want to show you a story of all of this kind of coming together for uh, a dear brother here at the village. His name's Abraham. Not Father Abraham, who had many sons, but like Abraham, who's here. You'll see. Watch the video. I'm Abraham, 33 years old. So my testimony starts in the beginning where I grew up, uh, I come from a Mexican family, Mexican background, and so I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and it was very one way. It felt very, um, it was faith by religion. You do this, you'll get this at the end. I lived the rest of my, the next chapter of my life away from faith and spirituality. Then I met uh, someone who introduced me to the truth, and I didn't know I was being introduced to the actual truth until I started speaking to her, and she started telling me about a very difficult time she had gone through. When she presented her, her life to me, she was like, I went through this very traumatic experience, and I wouldn't have gone through it if it wasn't for God, for the Lord. So that took me back a little bit because I was like, wow, like, you know, she's giving the credit to the Lord, where before everybody I would have met would have just given the credit to themselves. And she told me about this God who she had a relationship with and how her salvation was through grace and grace alone and not about what you did. And I was like, okay, this is like very 180 from what I knew about Christianity. So it definitely made me lean into it. And so I started attending the village uh, with her and I started hearing, you know, gospel-driven truth. But I had never even opened the Bible. I had I knew an idea of who Jesus was, what he had, life he had lived, but I had no idea what it actually was. And so I started reading it and I started uh, learning about him and just seeing how God's faithfulness and kindness and his everything is just all throughout Bible. And so that started just working in me little by little. And then it came to a moment in my life where for the first 33 years of my life, all I wanted to do was control my life, give myself the credit, make all the decisions for me. It just changed everything in me. At that moment, the Holy Spirit was involved in me. And I knew that like, if I just surrendered my life to him, he would guide me and he would be faithful as he had, he had been faithful. I just didn't know it. I have two children, and I started looking at the way I parent them and the way I am a father to them just differently. I was like, you know what my responsibility here is, is to introduce them to the same Lord that I know. And so that's just that's what drives me now is to live my life for him, um, not for what he'll give me, 
because he's already given me so much. You know, he sent his only son to this earth as a sacrifice for us to come to him. You know, that's all it takes is just one step. And, you know, this too can happen for you, right? Your salvation is there, it's waiting for you. And so that's that's how I want to live my life. And that's kind of been my testimony. I'm just, again, so grateful for the Lord, grateful for all he's done, and just want to surrender and live my life for him. Yeah, I love Abraham's story. And then I love, you know, I didn't know, I knew we had a testimony video. I hadn't watched it yet when I wrote the sermon. And then, like, so much of what he's saying is the stuff that we covered. Like, it was this, it was this Christian woman's wrestle with tragedy and difficulty that was confusing and compelling to him that drew him in. And then he, he was real honest about having grown up in a kind of religious context, but had never opened the Bible and didn't know much about Jesus at all. And, and I think what can happen to us as Christians in the South is we can begin to believe that everybody knows and everybody believes and everybody gets this. And I'm just telling you, there are hundreds of thousands of men and women like Abraham all around us. In fact, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I think you're like, you're right in the path of the good news of the gospel, which I've already said it, which means the Lord wants your soul. And so I want to create space for you to be able to respond to this. Now, if you're a Christian, I got homework this week, right? I want you to fill out your relational circles. I want you to begin to look intentionally at your life. But really, my appeal to you this morning, if you're not a believer, is that like you're here today. And I'm talking about this. Your family member, your friend, your coworker, your neighbor, like invited you to come. They've been praying for you. You've read the Bible with them. You've asked questions and, and here you are and you're here to, to not hear do better or try harder. You're here to hear the good news that Christ has done for you what you'll never be able to do for yourself. And, and maybe you're in here and, and you've got a testimony like Jane Thompson's who was plain the piano, playing the organ at church as the wife of a deacon when she realized, oh no, I've been in church for 30 years and that's not the gospel I believed. I believed a different gospel and that explains why I am exhausted and there's no gladness or joy in my life because I've been trying to earn what he's been trying to freely give me. And so maybe today you're hearing this for the first time that it's not Jesus plus this, this, and this, and you're using sin in your life as an excuse to not come to him and trying to clean it up before you do, but he only takes the dirty. He doesn't take the clean because there aren't any. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So some of the times here, I'll just say, please, for the love of God, get over yourself. You're not special in your sin. We've all screwed this thing up. We've all fallen short. We're all in need of a savior. He's all of our only hope. And so I just wanna extend it to you today. Can't make my kids, can't make you, but I can stand guilt-free before God because this time I'm not saying to you, I hear you, man. I'm saying to you, somebody wants your soul. However dirty you think it is, however unlovable you think it is, uh, however worthless you think it is, I'm telling you, the creator of the universe thought it valuable enough to send the only begotten son, not to condemn you in it, but to save you from any condemnation from it. So why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Here in a second, I'm gonna pray for us and there's gonna be a group of men and women that come up front. They're just our prayer team. 
And, and they're here for you. They're here to pray with you and talk with you. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, I haven't said yes to that gospel. Maybe your background's in church or maybe it's not in church at all or maybe it was in church and you've been gone for a decade, wild and out. And you're like, I've never said yes to that gospel. And you know what? I want to today. I want to say yes to that by faith, to trust in Jesus alone. If that's you and you're in the hand, you're like, man, I hadn't said yes to that gospel. I want to. Just raise your hand where you are. It, like, raise it like we're not Baptist. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have some men and women that are going to come up front. And, and man, if today's the day that you want to say yes to Jesus, why don't you come up, let us know. We'll, man, we'll, we'll baptize you today. We'll celebrate new life as a crowd today. We'll go nuts about that. We've got shorts and t-shirts and a towel. We can hook you up so you don't have to worry about anything. I just want to lay before you that the creator God of the universe sees you, loves you, and has made a way to solve that thing that no drink will solve, that no comfort will solve, that no relationship will solve, that no amount of money will solve, that no amount of control will solve, but only surrender by faith alone into this grace brought to us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Father, I bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. I, I ask for boldness for the men and women here who haven't said yes to your gospel. They've heard it now, and, and I just ask now for the boldness to respond. I, I know, gosh, I, I just remember my own internal struggle when my moment came like this, where I, I just thought of a thousand reasons why I didn't need to move, a thousand reasons why this wasn't true of me, a thousand reasons why th that this was for other people but not me. And I just pray against the work of the enemy right now. They'd be whispering into ears and hearts that this isn't for them, that they'd be they're, they're too far gone or... Um, yeah, that you would free them even from a life filled with religious activity separated from a relationship with you. Gosh, how miserable. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit of God, do those things that I can't do and we can't do. We trust you. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.